and welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Cloud Civilizations. With the help of guests, we explore human experiences of the digital, getting up close and personal with subcultures on social media platforms, anecdotal stories of digital tools, to people's opinions on digital phenomena. I'm your host, Young Lo, currently pursuing a master's in digital anthropology. This is the fifth and last episode of our Digital Dynamics Zero series on the spring 2022 citywide lockdown in Shanghai, China. In this episode, I speak to my friend Yuri about online activism in Chinese online spaces. Yuri works in Shanghai and has been involved in different activist communities. We discuss their experiences of how they got interested in advocacy and community organizing work, their observations of how Chinese netizens creatively navigate a heavily censored online climate, and key moments during the lockdown that sparked widespread online activism, notably the Voices of April video. Because Yuri requested to have their voice disguised to maintain confidentiality, I wanted to respect that, so please bear with the strange audio in this episode. This episode is pretty topical for two reasons. One is that Yuri mentions getting involved in activism from past involvement in university college union strikes, and most recently, strikes have continued where academics and other support staff in higher and further education across the UK continue to advocate against trends towards increasingly insecure, underpaid and unequal labours. And secondly, why this is topical is because of the most recent incident of a residential building fire in Umchi, Xinjiang on 24th November 2022 that has tragically taken 10 lives and it's been thought to be a result of COVID lockdown restrictions hindering the rescue process or preventing residents safely escaping. And this has catalyzed both online anger from Chinese citizens and numerous offline protests against the zero COVID policies. For more information about these causes, please search up hashtag UCU rising and also Umchi fire to learn more. And these are also in the show notes. All right, I've talked for long enough in this intro. So without further ado, let's dive into the humanly digital. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So thank you for joining me today. Uh, could you just start by telling the listeners a bit about yourself? My name is Yuri. I used to study in the UK and I also stay in Japan for a while. I'm from China and currently based in Shanghai. I used to study social sciences and humanities and that's why I'm pretty, uh, pretty interested about social activism and different sociological phenomena. Wonderful. And I'm also so glad to have Yuri here with me today. Um, and so this podcast focuses a lot on the digital. Do you have mm-hmm. a favorite thing that you've encountered on the digital platform this week or maybe a favorite digital tool at the moment? I'm scrolling down my Weibo <laughs> in the morning, just trying to find something that could be called a favorite. But you know, it was just purely flooded with sad news. It's actually a very old video, but I only just saw it this morning. It's about a Ukrainian um, pianist who was playing on her own piano after her house was bombarded by the Russians. So that was very moving for me. Yeah, that is very moving. Thank you for sharing that. I'll definitely like look up that video as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about creative online activism, especially in the context of Shanghai lockdown. And so mm-hmm. to start with, Yuri, how long were you locked down in Shanghai for? I think I was in lockdown for about two months and two months and one to two weeks. Pretty late in being locked down. Um, I think some of my some of my colleagues and friends started their lockdown in like the first half of March. Oh, gosh. And then my yeah. only study at the end of it. Because you lived um, on the east side, 
And so definitely people who were living in Pudong were locked down slightly earlier than the rest of us in Puxi, which is the west side of the river. Mm-hmm. And so if you could sum up your experience of the Shanghai 2022 lockdown with a word or a sentence, what would you choose? I call it a loop. A loop. You know, at first we didn't have any cases in our own community. And then only after the lockdown, and suddenly everything just started, especially at the beginning of the lockdown. You know, I don't have any scientific proof for that. It's just my own gauge. But I do think that every time we were forced to go downstairs to take a PCR test, we have the risk of catching the COVID-19. And then we catch it. And then we continue to be locked down in that house. And that whole circle repeats. Everything happens again. People got got uh, infected again. And yeah, and the lockdown keeps extending. Exactly. Yeah, and I think what the, the reason why I'm calling this a loop that I don't think it's very specific in 2022. Things are frequently happening ever since 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the third year after COVID-19 in China, but but still. We're still having everything repeating itself. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean. It almost seems like a vicious cycle in the sense that the way that they are executing a lot of these policies, such as, you know, everyone is mandated to go down to do a PCR, but then people literally crowding in a line to do a PCR. Like, you know, if you're going to go down the zero COVID route and then mm-hmm. you keep putting people in these situations where they are coming into close contact with other people and then you're testing so obviously it's almost a self-defeating method yeah. yeah you mentioned previously that you because of the things you studied um and your interests you've been quite active or interested in activism when i moved back to shanghai i was really pleasantly surprised to see that activism and perhaps collectively organized activities were quite frequent along Chinese platforms, such as even just raising awareness or participating in fundraising charity campaigns. Do you remember when you first kind of got involved? Um, Was there a defining moment or a period when you got into all this online campaigns or raising awareness? We are both of this generation. So digital Mm -hmm. platforms have always been part of our life. Yeah. So I think the the first time I was engaged in social activism, it actually happened in the UK. I was engaged in strikes in the UK, and that was greatly influenced by one of my lecturers who was teaching labour and employment. Then it was 2020, so all social activism just became the new normality. You know, every day we have set news, we have very heart-wrenching stories. You always have to protect something, and I think that was that was the start of it. It wasn't a very it wasn't very proper or very official start, mm-hmm. but things just happened. Oh yeah, and I think at that time I was also keeping an eye on labor issues in China, mm-hmm. and gender, gender issues, especially in, I think in 2018 or 2019, it was a time when Jack Ma proposed and promoted uh, notorious 996. It, it was a time when I was more and more engaged in digital platforms to observe how people talk about their own opinions. And then later on, when I came back to China, I joined several different NGOs. I, did, I didn't officially join them. Chinese NGOs 
have uh, very strict memberships. Images volunteers. And as long as you, you have been engaged in it, you always know about some very first news, about catastrophes, about earthquakes, about quarantines, where people really need your help. I guess you mentioned just now that, especially since the start of the pandemic in 2020, it wasn't necessarily framed as activism, but everyone had all these frustrations at cases of injustice or heart-wrenching stories, and then they would perhaps repost them or voice out their opinions or raise awareness via their online platforms. Could you give some examples of when during 2020 there were some instances that really amassed the public opinion online that you saw from netizens to react very strongly and almost unintentionally launch into online activism? The death of Lee Wen Lau must be like a top case for, for that thing. For people who maybe no, don't know who he is, could you maybe just give a little brief introduction about why yeah, people were so angry about it? So, uh, Dr. Li Wen Liao, he was a doctor. Yes. He was a doctor in, in Wuhan. And he was one of the first people who signaled the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic to people very close to him. He wasn't even, you know, he wasn't even leaking the news to the general public. He was just t- telling his family and friends that you need to be aware of it. And then someone made a screenshot of that WeChat conversation. And then that screenshot circulated in Wuhan. So people just got to know, okay, there is this virus. It's a little bit like SARS. It's horrible. We need to get prepared. It was officially defined as a rumor because at that time the government didn't want to admit that was the COVID-19 virus. After that, I think Dr. Lee Wen Liao was caught to the police and he was punished. So he had to sign his confession, promised that he wouldn't do it again. Mm-hmm. Because he was an ophthalmologist himself. Yeah. Um, he still had to work in one of the, one of the biggest uh, hospitals in Wuhan. But he caught the virus himself. And, you know, at that time, we didn't have enough resources and experience to address the issue. So finally, he died of COVID-19. So he died of something that he warned people to get prepared for. Definitely. And so similarly, during the Shanghai lockdown, there were many cases of injustice and also just poor policies, which I suppose sparked a lot of outrage with netizens. From your personal observations, do you think the Shanghai lockdown, I suppose, changed people's involvement in online activism? Yeah, I definitely say so. Just to my own observation, let's say I have two groups of friends. So group one are very concerned about social activism, social events, and the other group are just very cold. Everything on their social media accounts are only always about themselves and their life. But then Especially during the Shanghai lockdown, I found that more and more people of the second group were posting different, I don't know, news or reports or very emotional pictures related to the lockdown and also uh, the COVID-19 policies. So essentially in your second group of friends who were more passive in terms of these larger causes, they started posting more things that were related to the Shanghai lockdown. Do you remember what were some things that people were sharing? First moment that I noticed is was when the father died of asthma. His daughter definitely 
caught the ambulance. But at that time, the, the community was already in lockdown. And there was an ambulance right downstairs of their apartment, but that ambulance refused to take his father to the hospital. And after that, there were some very similar cases, people being refused to go to hospital and just because of COVID policies. And then later on, there was also a video called The Voice of Shanghai, Voices of Shanghai, which was massively circulated. Yeah. Going back to the first case, essentially, this daughter had called an ambulance for her father who did he suffer from asthma chronically, right? It was a long term disease. He had a long term disease and she knew that he was very sick, needed to go to the hospital and called for an ambulance. But at that time, they were not accepting anyone into the hospital who had not had a negative PCR test within the last 48 hours. Do I remember that correctly? I think so. I think there was also a rule about the ambulance. You know, the ambulance were there to pick another patient. It was very heart-wrenching because in that video, people could see how the ambulance driver, how the medical worker refused to take the patient to the ambulance. She was banging on the windows and the medic inside just had to ignore her. I guess they were trying to follow protocol, but that ended up losing a life as a result. You Then you mentioned just now the Suyue Zhishen, the voice of Shanghai, a voice of April. I remember that very, very clearly. And that was also a defining moment, which made me rethink how netizens in China, when there is a collective cause, there is such mm-hmm. power in the people, I suppose. So what you just heard was a snippet taken from the Suyue Zhishen or Voices of April, also named Voices from Shanghai Lockdown video of official government announcements in March 2022 saying that Shanghai is not locked down, that there is no need for a citywide lockdown and that this is not a viable option for the city that plays such a crucial role in the economic and social operation of the whole country. I really urge everyone to watch the video and the full video is circulated on YouTube and I've included one link in the show notes. That video on the afternoon or early evening of April 22nd started going viral. Do you remember what you were doing when you first discovered it? I think I only got to see it very late that night. I just finished my shower, checked my messages. At that time, you always had to check the group messages. Those groups were were founded for for your own communities. All the regulations about PCR tests and information about where you can buy some food. You can only access such information in that certain WeChat group. Exactly. So I was checking that thing and I suddenly saw just within like an hour's time, I had hundreds of messages in that group. We were talking about some video that has been deleted several times and then they managed to find another source of it. I was actually very surprised because that group definitely wasn't a place to talk about such things. Then I checked out my WeChat moments, so it's something like the, the Instagram, and found that people were also circulating some, like, some sorts of video. But at that time, the name has been changed because people were trying to bypass censorship. Yeah, the full video is out on YouTube. So for context, what happened in that video was producer in Shanghai, they wanted to raise awareness and also to not let what has happened be forgotten. What they did is they cut a lot of sound bites that were recording, I guess, moments that marked the timeline of the lockdown, such as when authorities officially announced the citywide lockdown. 
and also moments that were tragic, outrageous, absurd, that sparked a lot of anger and went viral online. So, for example, Yuri was talking about where the father was denied access to the ambulance, and he also had soundbite for. I remember there was a mother who had a son with a fever, and obviously, a fever is a very serious indicator of COVID. But she was trying to get fever medication through her building. She was knocking on all these neighbors' doors, literally begging for someone to open up and give her some fever medication because her child. Was terribly sick. Just to jump in, and you can't buy any fever medications in the drugstore. Exactly, because it's a serious sign of COVID, and so I guess they stopped selling it because they were trying to weed out positive or potential positive cases. And it was so heart wrenching to hear this mother just literally crying out, and no one answering her because her child is terribly sick. The video producer. Had all these sound bites, compiled it into a chronological order, and then played it with a black and white drone shot of Shanghai, and in order to just basically recapture the significant moments that have happened during the Shanghai lockdown. And so you mentioned obviously that the thing about the video was that it was widely circulated, and then it was repeatedly censored. And so, how did netizens react to it after it was posted? People who, who didn't used to care so much about social events, like these people, were constantly reposting the voice of Shanghai or the voice of April at that moment, and that's why I was, you know, I, I mentioned that I was really surprised to find that that message was circulating in our、uh, communities. I was surprised too because it was repeatedly censored, so people would maybe change the. Title or maybe reverse the video so that it, the censors it would they would try and basically get around the censors with these very creative ways, and then telling their friends on WeChat to Jieli, which is kind of translating to pass on the baton. So it became a kind of relay race. Everyone was just so frustrated with the whole situation that they were working together to get this video out and to preserve the memories of. These people and these instances, which government will try and make disappear in the future. And I remember on that evening, and so many people basically still engaging in activism, but in a very creative way, in order to get around censorship. And I think censorship in China, especially, you know, these platforms are quite monopolized in a certain way because they're owned by a handful of big tech companies. Who definitely have to work with the government. So, for example, on WeChat, you obviously have centralized, you know, censors filtering everything. But then the censorship would force people to be more creative in how they put these different messages. So I remember very distinctly that there were some Douyin or TikTok videos where people would start quoting Chairman Mao and the Little Red Book. For example, being like listening to cadres at lower levels and teaching every comrade to love the people and listen attentively to the voice of the masses, things like that. Where obviously the reason why they did it was because surely the censor can't censor Chairman Mao, the founding father of the country. So they were like, okay, I'm going to try and give a backhanded critique at what this current government is doing by quoting the unreachable Chairman Mao, <laughs> which I loved. <laughs> I love seeing. I don't know if you remember any other cases. 
that really exemplified netizens' creativity during this difficult period? Because, you know, the censorship in China often takes the form of textual censorship. Just for the exact video of the voice of April, I have a friend who is somehow a little bit influential on Weibo because of her professional skills. Yeah. Uh, she was uh, she was shooting the video by herself. So Yuri told me about a way that her friend had tried to get around the censorship in order to share the Voice of April video because the most important part of it is the audio part where they string together the different audio snippets of the tragic incidents that have marked the lockdown. So the friend put a speaker in the middle of a room and literally just filmed the speaker playing out the audio part of the voice of April. She was pretty happy with it, but within an hour of posting it onto Weibo, her video got taken down and censored. So it was pretty mad that they acted so quickly even on audio when traditionally the past censorship has been purely textual and visual forms. Prior to the lockdown of Shanghai, we just have this cultural legacy of <laughs> That's the reason why we also have this cultural legacy of bypassing censorship. So I say for fan fiction, it's really just an example, but Chinese fan fiction has long been censored in a great way because most of it involves gay romance. The way creators bypass censorship frequently invented their own interesting ways and that definitely inspired how people tackled this issue during the lockdown. I used to see some people, they were overlaying their own the picture of their novels with many different and irrelevant pictures mm-hmm. at the top. And so definitely with your experience in UK and Japan as well, because of this, as you (laughs) said, the cultural heritage of censorship, how have Chinese medicine styles or methods of online activism quite unique or in other ways that they may be similar? What I noticed before was that uh, Chinese people don't prefer to share their political opinions on social media platforms. But that's quite different in the UK and Japan, right? But in China, it's different. The main platforms <laughs> and the only accessible platforms <laughs> use are uh, WeChat and I don't know, WeChat, Weibo, or TikTok. And WeChat is definitely like, it has its dominant position and that's the way you connect to different people your clients and friends your colleagues once you share something in wechat moments it's very likely that people you're in your own circles can see it people don't want to have the political views being viewed by others to influence their own life and work i do know one of the she's also a friend of mine and she has retired mm-hmm. Uh, she used to be a uh, CPC. So essentially, she is um, a party me- member, uh, <laughs> like a local member of the CCP, yeah. She has chosen to believe in Buddhism mm-hmm. after retirement. And then even after her retirement, before when she was posting something about Buddhism, her ex-colleagues would uh, PM her and say, okay, you can't really do this because you are a party member and you have always mind what you're saying. She's a really loyal party member. She was like, um, I don't care if I couldn't say anything about the Buddha, as long as I believe in him. 
you know, secretly and quietly that they like Buddhism. So that's why I think the social media platforms are very strictly segmented by their functions. On different platforms, people can talk about things very differently. With a shrinking or perhaps non-existent kind of public sphere or civil society, what do you see for the future of online activism? So, for example, you said that during Shanghai lockdown, they even got around to censoring audio tapes. I, I don't know if this means that it's just going to be more AI involved and makes it more strict, or do you think that people are just really resilient in adapting to these different constraints? I think it's really hard to draw a conclusion to this. It's always happening simultaneously. For your first point, I think that's why I said it was just like a loop. It's also the reason why for this, like for our discussion, I myself personally, I wouldn't call the voice of April something like a relay, like a carnival for me. So people, mm. people are repeating the process. People are really indulgent in their own illusionary triumph if they can succeed to if if they can manage to send out the veil. A relay has a very definite endpoint. Yeah, yeah, you can reach that endpoint, and you can uh, achieve something, but. A carnival, I think, is different. People are taking part in the, in the carnival because of their own uh, emotions and their anger, but they may not really aim to achieve something. The end result is here that every single video clip of The Voice of April, it, it just ends up being deleted. We have a thing again and again and again. The circulation especially happened to my second group. So the more indifferent people. Who didn't experience something like this before, who only realized how the censorship somehow in a nonsense against the people uh, during the Shanghai lockdown. Before that, they were, so, they were just so privileged. They, they really didn't care about it. They, at least they didn't have to voice about it. It didn't affect them on a daily level, so they were just didn't think twice and didn't think that it was anything wrong. It was just the normal way of life. That's a really interesting and really apt description of the whole Voice of April situation. I've never thought about it that way, but that's so correct. I think it was like a release of all this pent up energy, but then to what extent it was just literally that short lived moment. I think I definitely learned a lot from your opinions and your experiences and so thank you again for joining me today and I hope you also had an interesting time to reflect on all these things. Sure, thank you. And thank you to you the listeners for tuning in to yet another episode of Cloud Civilizations and the last one in our Digital Dynamic Zero series. This was actually quite an emotional thing to edit because in light of what's happening in Urumqi and also the widespread protests that have now sparked across different Chinese cities, including Shanghai. I really admire the bravery of all those advocating for the lives lost and the injustice that has resulted from these policies, as well as standing up to demand change. I hope they take care and stay safe.